a rambunctious group. I like that. I'm Joe. I'm glad you're here with us. Um, I am one of the pastors here, and I help lead um, a ministry called The Greenhouse, which is the college age and young adults. I'm so glad you joined us, especially if you're new with us. Hey, if, if uh, I've never met you and you have the courage to meet me, uh, you can come meet me in the bullpen afterward. I'd love just to say hi. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into what I believe God has for us this morning. Father, we're so thankful that we get a chance to be here and learn from you. God, we want to be, um, we wanna be uh, not just hearers, but doers of your word. God, we want to be people who uh, are, are here so that you can mold and shape us into be, becoming different people. We know that you're in the process of transforming us into being more like your son. And so we pray that this morning we would become more like Jesus as a result of your word and your Holy Spirit at work in us. And we pray that in, in your name, Jesus, amen. Well, is it possible to be the kind of person that responds with joy and prayer and thankfulness in spite of your circumstances? Think about it. Could you rejoice even when life gives you a lemon? Or how about this? How about when a semi-truck full of lemons collides into your world. I want to share with you a story this morning about a hero of mine. I've never met her, um, but I've listened to her for over 20 years. When this woman was 14, she became a Christian. And what that means is, um, is that she responded to what God has done for us in Jesus. The, the God of the universe, Jesus the Son, came to earth and became Jesus the man. And he lived a perfect life. He walked in a way that no one else would ever walk in this world. Moral perfection. And then he did what we deserved. He took our place on the cross. And he died as the Holy One. So that we could be made right with a holy God. In other words, what he did is he took our, our sin onto himself on the cross. And he gave us his righteousness. He made us so that we could walk with God in this life and then also into eternity. And that's what this young woman did when she was 14. She responded to that message. But as she went through high school, she said that she didn't see much Christian growth or maturity in her life. She mixed the gospel message with the American dream, which many of us have done. And so she neared the end of her senior year of high school and she really struggled with the idea of going away to college because she feared that she would live in a way that dishonored Christ and brought shame to his name. So she prayed this prayer. Lord, I'm not doing this Christian thing right and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name and smear your reputation. I know this is about far more than just me. So do something in my life to jerk it right side up because I'm living this life all wrong. And a few weeks after she prayed that prayer between the time she graduated from high school and the time that she went away to college, her sister Kathy invited her to go uh, to the ocean for a swim. And she, she was a, a gifted athlete, a gifted swimmer, and she swam out to this raft, never touching bottom. She hoisted herself up onto this platform, and in her own words, she took this really stupid dive into extremely shallow water, and she snapped her head back when she hit the bottom, crunching her fourth vertical vertebrae, vertebrae severing her spinal cord. 
And there she lay face down in the water, unable to move. And all she could think was, I hope my sister saw me. But her sister was looking the opposite direction. And the only reason she even turned around was because a crab bit her on the foot. And and so Kathy turned around to warn her sister that there were crabs in the area. And that's when she saw her sister's bleach blonde hair floating in the off-colored water. And she came over and she rescued her. And as this young woman lay in a hospital bed, unable to move, her attending doctor told her what must have, at the time, must have felt like the sentence of death. That she would never be able to use her arms and legs ever again. And that she'd spend the rest of her life sitting down, confined to a wheelchair. And so as she laid there, she wondered, what did my sister save me for? Well, if you're new with us, you know, we're walking through this series with Pastor Mark on the parables. And, and when Mark gets a break, I get a chance to talk and teach on this, this letter that we've been looking at in the New Testament called First Thessalonians. And I've titled the series, The Church at Her Best. And today we're going to continue in this letter and look at another incredible section of God's word. And just to set this up a bit, what Paul does is he travels throughout the, the ancient Near East, and, and as he would go from one city to the next, he would kind of travel with some of his buddies and they'd show up in a city and they'd proclaim the gospel message. And that's how they started these churches. And as they were helping people understand who Jesus is and what it would look like to put their faith in him and follow him, uh, many people in this community actually responded and this little church community was established. And this, people, this group of people created quite a stir, not only in this city, but really in this entire region. Churches from hundreds of miles away felt the aftershock of the initial coming to faith of these people. Why? It was because of their story. It was because of of the transformed lives of of these people. See, they were worshipers of idols. And when they became Christians, they left their idols behind. And they began to worship the only true God, Jesus Christ. Christ. And like what was so often the case back in that time and often is today, this kind of life transformation was met with opposition and adversity. And so a lot of what Paul did in in writing this letter was encourage these young Christians to not give up, to keep on keeping on, and to follow Jesus in spite of, in spite of the pain and and the challenges and the adversity and the afflictions. And today we're going to look at just three verses. But these 22 words might be some of the most challenging words that you and I will ever read in God's word. And what I hope to do today is is encourage and challenge us to be the church at her best. And I believe that the church is at her best when we embrace what God wants to do in us and through us. And so Paul's going to help us today as he outlines three attitudes or mindsets for us. And so if you have a Bible or a web-enabled device, you can flip or tap your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. And this is how Paul starts out. Just two words. He says this, rejoice always. Rejoice always. And his first mindset for us is this. Your circumstances don't have to dictate your joy. I know it's just two words, and it's written as an imperative, which means it's a command. It's a command that the Apostle Paul himself would, 
would need to obey as he walked through tremendous persecution and suffering, eventually ending up chained to a Roman soldier confined to a prison cell. It would be a command that Johnny, the woman whose story I began with this morning, it's a command that she would be challenged to obey for over 50 years confined to a wheelchair. And it's a command that you and I are challenged to obey as we struggle through our own unique trials and suffering. As we live in a world that's marred by injustice and pain and suffering. See, the truth is, you could be confined to a prison cell or a wheelchair or whatever suffering you are currently experiencing or will experience, and you can have incredible joy regardless of your circumstances. You know, the Apostle Paul had so many reasons not to rejoice. His life was full of suffering. I mean, besides being stuck in prison, he writes about his suffering in several places in the New Testament. He says in one place that he experienced countless beatings. Now, I don't know, when I read that, I think, you know, countless beatings means it's probably hard for him to remember how many beatings he got. But he had a way of kind of keeping like, he gave us like a short list. And so here's kind of what he said. He said, five times he received 40 lashes minus one. See, the Romans thought maybe if we, if we lash you 40 times, you'll die. So we'll just back that off one. Kind of, we'll just be merciful. Once he was stoned, and we're not talking Rocky Mountain High, we're talking with stones, with rocks. And so they, they drug him out of the city thinking he was dead and he walked right back in. Three times he was shipwrecked. And he felt the pain of watching Christians wrestle with their faith. And some who even left the faith. He, he felt the burden of caring for churches that were struggling. If anyone had reasons not to rejoice, it was Paul. And yet over and over again, he wrote about his rejoicing. His circumstances didn't dictate his joy. Think about the woman, Johnny, who had her spinal cord severed at age 18. For 52 years, she's been stuck in a wheelchair. She struggled with chronic pain almost every day of her life and scoliosis and dealt now with two bouts of breast cancer. If anyone has reason to despair, it would be Johnny. And when, when you listen to her talk or you read her, what she writes, she views her wheelchair as a gift from God. Paul and Johnny both have learned that their trials and suffering aren't something to be dreaded. No. They've learned that in the midst of their suffering that to embrace suffering becomes the pathway to deeper intimacy with Jesus. Johnny says this, she says, deep, great trials bring with them deep, great grace from God. And she also wrote this. She said, I really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than be on my feet without him. See, both of these followers of Jesus have learned to have joy regardless of their circumstances. And that's encouraging for people like me because honestly, I don't feel quite qualified to teach on these two words. God has tried to teach me for decades 
that I can have joy regardless of my circumstances. And I have made some progress, but I'm far from where I want to be. You know, here's a little insight into my world. I had a, 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 a vacation that I took recently, a couple weeks that I, at the end of the semester. And um, kind of to make a long story short, uh, I, I carry a water bottle a lot with me. Maybe you've seen that. And, and you know, whenever you carry something with you a lot, you have a good chance that you're going to lose it. And I've misplaced this water bottle more than, than I want to admit. And it can be quite frustrating. And, and my wife and I had this, this interchange on our vacation where I, she told me that she took the water bottle and put it in, in our vehicle. And then I was like, oh, great, great. And then a couple, like a week later, I, you know, I had so much going on, I just forgot about it. And a week later, I was like, hey, well, what happened to that water bottle? And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't really know. And, and, uh, and I just kind of had this meltdown. And I don't know if anybody else ever meltdown in here. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not over like a stupid water bottle. And, and I have to say, like, I felt like I made some progress because I was able to recover by the grace of God a little quicker than normal. But, you know, when I sit back and I think about it, it's a stupid water bottle. I mean, it's completely replaceable. It's really no big deal. But I think what it reveals is it reveals something about me. It reveals my heart. And see, that's what suffering and trials do. They, they reveal who we really are. And for me, it just points me over and over again to my need for Jesus. How much I need a savior. See, it's like God uses these hiccups to hold a mirror up to my heart to reveal what's really there. Well, what about you? How do you respond when you suffer? Like maybe it's something stupid like a, a lost water bottle. Or maybe it's something more significant like, like the loss of your health. Or maybe the loss of a job. Or maybe something even more significant like the loss of someone you love. See, John, the reason Paul and Johnny have joy regardless of their circumstances is because of the depth of understanding that they have about the gospel. They're overwhelmed by how good God has been to them in Jesus. They both see how great their need for Jesus is. And see, the gospel is the greatest good that you will ever know for all eternity. And I had this realization as I was writing this, that I say the same exact thing every time I'm up here. And it's because it's the greatest truth I could ever share with anyone. It's deep and it's wide and it's high and it's long. And I'm just starting to understand it myself. I've been a follower of Jesus for, for a quarter of a century, over 25 years, and I'm just starting to grasp what the gospel's all about. I'm beginning to get my arms around just how much God loves me in spite of me. In spite of my flaws and my failure and my, and my ugliness and my blah. And so if you're here and this is hard for you to kind of get your arms around, you're not alone. You're in good company if you consider me good company. We're all learning about the depths of God's goodness to us in Christ. It's why we celebrate the Christmas we just celebrated. God with us. 
God didn't just make an appearance in Jesus, but he chose to make a permanent dwelling with anyone who would respond to the gospel. And so this is your application again for this message. You want to know how to have joy regardless of your circumstances? Revel. Revel in the gospel. Revel in the fact that even when you get all bent out of shape about losing a water bottle, Jesus is still crazy about you. And he's still patient with you. And he's never going to leave you. And he's never going to forsake you. He's never going to turn his back on you. He's never going to give up on you. And he's going to keep bringing trials into your life to reveal your need for him and to show you that he is way better than anything else this world could ever offer you. Okay, moving on to the third word that we're going to look at this morning. Paul writes this. He says, pray without ceasing. And this is the second mindset that he wants us to have. Your circumstances, they don't have to hinder your prayer life. Instead, they can actually fuel your prayer life so that it becomes a praying life. And the sense of what Paul is saying here isn't that we're to spend every moment of our day locked up in a closet praying. I love what Warren Wearsby writes about this. He says this, Pray without ceasing does not mean we must always be mumbling prayers. The word means constantly recurring, not continuously occurring. We're to keep the receiver off the hook, so to speak, and be in touch with God so that our Praying is part of a long conversation that's not broken. God knows the desires of of the heart and he responds to those desires even when our voice is silent. And so that quote has to be explained a little bit because many of you grew up in a time where you've never seen a landline or a home phone, right? Yeah, so every once in a while we'll walk into a room and there'll be like this little like, you know, outlet. And my kids are like, well, what's that for? I'm like, well, back in the day, we would plug our phone cord into that. And you could only go as far as your phone cord would allow you to go. And so I actually have a a picture that I want to show you of what one of these looks like. Um, Now, I don't remember one quite this old, but what this has is it has a receiver on it. And that would be like what you would hold up to your ear. So like... We used to even use cell phones to make phone calls. I don't know how many people do that anymore. But um, the receiver, it would sit on a, a little button. And when the, when the button was depressed, that would be how you'd hang up a phone call. So what, what, what Warren Wearsby is basically saying here is, is that we would leave the receiver off the hook. You'd just leave the, the, the part of the phone that you'd hold up against your ear. You'd leave it on the counter. And you'd have this kind of conversation, on and off conversation with the father all throughout the day. I love the way one of my favorite scholars puts it. This is Dr. Thomas Constable. He wrote this. He said, continual prayer is not prayer that prevails without any interruption, but prayer that continues whenever possible. The adverb for continually is this Greek word that I can't say. It it was used in Greek for a hacking cough. So many of us have had this hacking cough. We got this, you know, flu thing that happened this year, and we've had a cough for five weeks. And you don't cough all day long, right? But you cough and then you stop coughing and then you cough again. And that's just kind of this idea that you, you would have this fellowship with God kind of on and off as, as much as possible 
throughout the day. And he goes on, he says, Paul was speaking of maintaining continuous fellowship with God as much as possible in the midst of daily living in which concentration is frequently broken. That's like my middle name, concentration that's frequently broken. And so here's the connection between uh, uh, rejoicing always and praying without ceasing. When you come to a spot in your day, when you're wrestling with joy, you, you pick up the phone and you talk to God about what's going on, metaphorically speaking. And you tell him exactly what, you know, what's going on in your life. You don't say it in a churchy way. You talk to him like you were talking to a friend. As if Jesus were standing there right with you. Because the truth is, he is. That's what Johnny does. She said that as she wrestles with the pain from her scoliosis or her displaced hip, it pushes her to reach out to Jesus for comfort and perspective. And not just day to day, but really moment to moment. The prayer life that Jesus would want us to have is one where we're constantly interacting with him throughout our days. Instead of allowing lost water bottles to derail our joy, we could turn to him and ask him to change our perspective, to help us to see what's, what's going on in our hearts, to, to help ask him for the power to move us in a different direction. See, the goal of the Christian life isn't to get your life all together. The goal of the Christian life is to live in constant dependency on the Father. Moment by moment, throughout every day of your life. And prayer is a key way we communicate our dependency on him. So it's not just that we, we don't set aside, you know, a focused time of prayer uh, to start our day. Like Jesus talked about going into uh, an inner room and praying in secret. But it doesn't end there. Prayer becomes just the normal way we walk with God through our day. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. To stay in step with the Holy Spirit. See, for a lot of Christians, prayer becomes a box that we just check off. But that's not what Paul is teaching here. I've spent a lot of years checking the prayer box. And honestly, uh, the discipline of focused prayer is great. But there is a danger with checking boxes. And the danger is this. You move from a walk and a relationship to making Jesus a task that you do and then moving on. And the truth is, for me to rejoice always, I'm going to need Jesus and God's spirit to work in me, to make me that kind of person all throughout my day. And a praying life, as one author calls it, is what Paul is exhorting us to embrace. Again, instead of allowing the disruptions in your day to hinder your prayer life, you allow them to push you toward praying without ceasing. And so a way you could roll this out in your life is like this. You could take your phone. Don't do this right now because you'll miss the next five minutes of what I want to talk about. And you could set an alarm for every hour of the day. And so every hour when that alarm goes off, you just talk to God about whatever's going on in your life at that moment. So maybe it's like, I am so thankful, God, for this. Or I just want to, I want to praise you for what you're doing in and around me. Or I'm anxious and I'm, I'm struggling here. Or I've got this friend or, or I'm concerned about and I just need to lift them up to you. Paul's final mindset for us today is this. 
It's to give thanks in all circumstances. So his third mindset again is your circumstances don't have to influence your thankfulness. So we get to the, the third command that Paul gives us and our response to Paul could be, really Paul? You don't know what's going on in my world. Like you want me to give thanks for my suffering, for my cancer, for the loss of my spouse, for my car trouble, for my unemployment, for my, my struggle with depression and anxiety, really Paul? You don't have a clue what's going on in my life. You want Johnny to give thanks for her quadriplegia? You want me to give thanks for my lost water bottle? Why? Why, Paul? Well, if you think about it, thankfulness communicates that you see something that's bigger than your circumstances. You hold a perspective about your life that's more robust than just what's temporal, just what's in front of you in the here and now. The lens through which you view life is wider and clearer and deeper than your suffering. See, Paul again had plenty of reasons to be discouraged or to complain about his lot in life and so does Johnny. But when we look at what it means to be in Christ, to have the assurance that we are children of God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, because we've come to him by faith, received forgiveness for our sins, that's all sin paid for, past, present, future. That we've been adopted into his family forever, that we have a permanent place with him. That we, as the psalmist says, we know a love that's better than life. Because of all of that and so much more, we begin to see how we could give thanks even in the worst of our sufferings. The afflictions of this life are light and momentary, Paul says in another place in the New Testament. Compared with what's just around the corner. And so a thankful heart changes us and leads us to worship rather than self-pity and discouragement. But it's even more than that. It's more than who we are in Christ. Another reason why we're able to give thanks in all circumstances is because we have embraced the truth that our life isn't our own anymore. That we belong to Jesus and that we exist for him to use us as he desires. So God wants to use us to draw a world full of suffering and pain to himself. But in order to do that, he allows us to suffer in the same way that the unbelieving world around us suffers. So they can watch how someone who has the hope of the resurrection suffers. So they can see what suffering looks like with the Holy Spirit in us. It's really a similar thought to what Mark shared at the Christmas Eve service. God wants to put himself on display through us. We're objects of mercy and he wants to put us on display as his objects of his glory. And so to make it really simple, this is what I'm trying to say. Potentially your greatest ministry won't come in areas of strength and giftings. You go out and you do your strength finders and see how many people really care about what your strengths are and what your gifts are. But if you want to see somebody 
sit up and take notice. It'll be in the area of your weakness. How do you do when you're weak? That's what gets the world's attention. Your greatest influence will come in how you suffer. How do you hold on to hope when the pain of life is overwhelming? Far more than we can handle on our own. So Johnny's main ministry over the last several decades has been to those who are suffering and to their families who suffer along with them. And in the midst of all the gospel opportunities God has given her, and it's been many, she has over and over again said this, I thank God every day for my wheelchair. Because what she's found is that as she gives thanks in all circumstances, she holds out the hope of the gospel to those who are struggling for hope and perspective. Well, there's one more picture I want to give you and I want to share with you uh, that a Christian counselor shared recently at a conference I went to. She asked this group of missionaries and pastors to picture our lives as a plate filled with all of uh, the, the, the foods that we love to eat. And those foods represent all the good things in our lives. And so you have all this amazing stuff on your plate and then kind of off on the side there's this stone. And the stone has kind of been thrown in the mud and the mud's kind of been caked on it and, and it's sitting on the plate. It's not like defiling the, the food on the plate. It just represents that, that point of suffering or that, that trial that, that, you've, that you're going through. And our challenge is to not make life all about that muddy stone. To not fixate on the rock. Instead it's to rejoice and to give thanks to God for giving us a plate full of good things for us to feast on. And to th think about those things. And I shared this recently at a small group I'm a part of here at New Hope. And like in this small group, there's a lot of brilliant, brilliant people in the group. I'm kind of the one who kind of brings the bar down a little bit in the group. And um, one of the guys shared this. He said, do you really think that that, that whole, this, the issue that we, that we deal with in our culture is heightened by social media? See, growing up, I couldn't see what was on your plate. All the fun adventures and pleasures you were having. All I knew was in my world, in, in my little world, you know, my life. But now you have access to the photoshopped feast of everyone else around you. But what you don't get to see is you don't get to see the mud-encrusted rock on the plate. People don't post stuff like that on Instagram. And so you're tempted more now than ever to compare rather than to give thanks for the continual feast that God has blessed you with. And where that has left us is this, a lack of thankfulness and a lack of joy. Our vertical thankfulness and joy has been robbed by our horizontal comparison and envy. And what I believe God wants us to do differently is help us to get our eyes off of other people's plates and back onto our own. 
And that's why I believe we're to give thanks in all circumstances because God wants us to not fixate on the stone in our life or the Photoshop place of feasting in our, in our social media friends' lives, but on his goodness and his kindness and his generosity toward us. And so Paul ends this section like this. He says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so God's will for your life isn't that you're just to give thanks in all circumstances, but it's really all three of the mindsets we've looked at. It's to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And so Paul just lays it out there again for us. He just tells us what God's will is for our life. Pretty intense passage because it touches raw places in our lives, places related to pain and and suffering. And because God challenges us with what is really on the forefronts of our minds. Is it our circumstances? Or who we are based on God's incredible kindness to us in Jesus? Johnny recently wrote on her 50th anniversary of her diving accident. And as you've already heard, you know, God's given her incredible joy and perspective in the midst of a very challenging circumstance. And I want to close uh, reading to you what she wrote as she celebrated, celebrated, celebrated five decades in her wheelchair. She said this. She said, last week my husband Ken and I were at a, our Johnny and Friends family retreat in Alabama. We were lunching in this big noisy dining hall when a college-age volunteer approached me holding a kid with Down syndrome on her hip. She gestured at the crowd and asked, Miss Johnny, do you ever think how none of this would be happening were it not for your diving accident? I flashed a smile and said, it's why I thank God every day for my wheelchair. After she left, I stared for a moment at the, at the dining hall scene. I suddenly had a 35,000 foot view of the moment. She's right. How did I get here? When she said this, it has everything to do with God and his grace, the gospel. Not just grace over the long haul, but grace in tiny moments, like breathing in and out, like stepping stones leading us from one experience to the next. The beauty of such grace is that it eclipses the suffering until one July morning. You look back and see five decades of God working in a mighty way. You got to hear this, this, last, this last line. Grace softens the edges of past pains, helping to highlight the eternal. What you're left with is peace that's profound, joy that's unshakable, and faith that's ironclad. God wants to put our lives on display for the lost world around us so that they will see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ shine through us. Let's be the church at her best and allow God to work in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful. We're thankful because we couldn't even 
come close to thinking about these mindsets without you and us. So God, we ask that you would do this work in us. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray that you would take and, and help us to apply. Help us to live this out. God, help us to revel in the gospel. Help us to, to be the kind of people who could rejoice in spite of. Who could give thanks regardless. And who could pray without ceasing. We thank you that you made this possible for us in Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. You have a great week.